Welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on this sports podcast where we have quite a bit to talk about on the gridiron, especially this week. I got a couple guests to help me break down the football at the pro and college level. First up is Adam Musto talking about NFL Week 2 storylines. The Packers bounce back. The Ravens win a thrilling game in Sunday primetime over the Chiefs. We discuss that, as well as all the other storylines. Tom Brady and Ageless Wonder yet again, and uh, some of the rookie quarterbacks really struggling. All that with Adam Musso. And then the college game, I talked to my boy Rob Crowder. College football in full effect. Penn State wins the whiteout game against Auburn. His Oklahoma State Cowboys still undefeated. They win in Boise. A lot of other games to break down with Rob Crowder. Him along with Adam Musto on this week's Money Mitch Effect episode. Let's start the show. All right, now with us on the Money Mitch Effect to talk NFL Week 2. New year, new football season. Same Adam Musto joining us on the line. Adam, thank you for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me. It's good to have uh, you know Week 2 in the books. Now, obviously, things kind of start to crystallize a little bit after you know Week 1 is kind of hit or miss for a lot of teams. But just great games, I feel like, all around. Some crazy finishes um, and some intriguing storylines. Yeah, I, I wanted to, there's a lot of different directions we can start at, and one of the trends I've noticed, I mean, there's two trends I've noticed. One is that uh, I think Tom Brady's immortal. I think we've kind of learned that right now. He's just never going to get old. And then number two being that underdogs have just been on fire this year. I was looking at like the Vegas line this year, and I think underdogs have, have covered the spread at like six to 600 to 700 in that range, and uh, they've won outright this week especially that the underdogs have been coming up big. And that, to me, just shows you how it's very evenly balanced competitive. And I, I think that's the – you can say it's the con in a lot of ways, but I think it's a pro that, Adam, it's such a balanced league with the talent that week to week, game to game, some of these teams are so evenly matched it's coming down to one series, one play even. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's even funny. Obviously, it's way too early to look at the standings in more than like a joking way, you know, there was about a three-hour window after week one where the Bears were in first place at 0-0 and every other team in their division was 0-1. But even, yeah, yes, I mean, some of the divisions, um, like even looking at the AFC North, for example, all the teams are 1-1, one one, which just maybe kind of look more funny looking at it now. Obviously, that will all, all play itself out. But, yeah, I feel like there's just a lot of moving parts with new quarterbacks in new teams and kind of new systems, and anyone can beat anyone uh, for the most part. Yeah, it's really proven that to be the case. And, uh, you know, the home field advantage thing, it's its also almost not a real advantage in a lot of ways, too. Even with fans back, which is great to have, uh, we can start in a lot of different directions I wanted to start with. But uh, I think number one has got to be that Sunday night game between the Chiefs and the Ravens, where the Ravens get that big win. Uh, they come back and, and beat the Chiefs by a point. And, Adam, it was groundbreaking for me in a lot of ways. One, the Ravens have just been battling through the injury ringer with all their running backs, with defensive players, with the line. But I think the, the bigger lift is, and we can talk about how the Chiefs, you know, losing in September for the first time in forever. Are they really folked in? Are they dialed in, focused in, I should say? But I think this was a big mental hurdle to, to lift, a, a, a emotional one, because it was the first time a young quarterback's beaten Patrick Mahomes. If you look at his head-to-heads against Baker, Allen, Lamar Jackson, at least in this conference, none of these young guys had ever beaten him before. So Lamar getting that first win over Mahomes was huge. And the way they did it at him by just running the ball down their throats really was impressive. Yeah, I think when teams make a run for a Super Bowl, and the Ravens are a little different because they've kind of been, you know, a top team for a few years. They're not one of these, like, young teams that was a wild card team, you know, out of the playoffs three years ago. They've been really consistent for a while, obviously, a few changes with quarterback, you know, before Lamar Jackson. But these are kind of like the signature wins that you usually see, you know, a team make in a special season. Or sometimes you see, like, the big comebacks. And I feel like I have to, like, go back to the Bears-Cardinals Monday night game or even, mm. you know, there's always those those big games, you know, 85 yeah. Bears beating the 49ers who won the Super Bowl before. I remember then when the, the year the Bears went to the Super Bowl in 2006, they beat the Seahawks on Sunday night and the Seahawks coming off being NFC champs. And then the following year, Tony Romo and the Cowboys destroyed the Bears on Sunday night. Um, yeah, you know, I see what you're saying. Up going to, but yeah, yeah so the, I feel like those are to kind of prove that, you know, and obviously I think one thing for the Ravens that a lot of people want to see is the success in the playoffs because it's kind of the expectation is that they'll be there and how are they going to do in, in uh, you know, January. But, yeah, it, it's almost impossible to beat the Chiefs. I mean, sorry about you know the Browns, obviously, in week one, but, you know, you can see how quickly they can turn it on and off. Um, so just to have those signature wins, I think at least mm-hmm. give you confidence knowing that you, you can do it later on. 
Yeah, and I also feel like with the running back position, I mean, the Ravens have overcome injuries, but if there's one area in the NFL where you can overcome it, I mean, you're in the best position to deal with injury, it's running back. It's almost like replacing scoring in basketball. If we can just find enough yards, if we can find enough bodies to to, uh, fill those stats and those carries, they'll be okay. Adam, on the flip side of that, though, the Chiefs, we know the offense is great. We know Mahomes is great. They're going to, you know, they're fine. Obviously, we know that. But on the defensive side, I'm not quite sure that they're fine on that Super Bowl championship level because they have the worst red zone defense in football. I think every time a team's been in the red zone this year, Ravens and Browns, they've scored a touchdown. That has to improve if they're going to, I think, even Mahomes, I'll dare I say, even Mahomes, the ultimate fixer of all your problems on that side of the ball, you got to give him something of support on the other side. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, obviously we've seen just how quickly they can overcome leads and stuff. But, but you know, exactly like you said, there is a time where that burnout gets set in. And, you know, what was the issue with Dan Marino for the longest part of his career? Is he had absolutely no defense. Obviously, mm-hmm. the team is totally different than what it is now. But I, I think eventually, if that's the expectation, to have to do that every single week, especially in the regular season, where, you know, maybe we were expecting, you know, all these blowouts for, for the Chiefs kind of an easy path to the playoffs. But, but I could definitely see burnout taking, you know, making an impact on the team where if you kind of have to, like, use up, you know, all the, the magic, you know, for, for a certain – and this was obviously more than just a traditional regular season game. Yeah. Um, but I, I could definitely see that, that being the case. Well, this is the first time they're not in first place in the division since Mahomes was in the NFL as a starting quarterback, which is insane in its own right. But the Raiders, the Vegas Raiders, 2-0. and And we can talk about 2-0, and Adam, for different teams. You know, 0-2, 2-0, depending on who you played and whether it's good teams. The Raiders beat the Ravens and the Steelers. The Steelers on the road. Uh, so that is as impressive of a 2-0, and I think, as there is right now in the NFL. And I have to give credit to where credit's due. I wasn't high on him going into the year, but Derek Carr has looked very, very good. He's been efficient. The offense looks good. It was far more balanced this week against a, a good Pittsburgh D that, despite losing T.J. Watt, they were able to key on Waller a little bit, so Carr was spreading the wealth. And make all the jokes you want about Gruden and Carr, but, Adam, they've been electric these first two weeks. Yeah, I mean, what's, you know, cars on pace for, what, like, 6,800 yards if you do about 400 <laughs> yards by 17 games, but yeah. which obviously, you know, as we all know, passing yards is probably one of the worst barometers of, of you know, win, winning and losing. But, yeah, I think that I'm kind of with you where I was kind of on the fence. I wasn't all about, above the John Gruden hype train. I mean, you know, it's not 2000 or 2001 again. And, you know, Carr obviously kind of has slid down a little bit since he got, you know, a big contract after being kind of a, obviously a surprise as a late, later round draft pick or, you know, late, later draft pick than just first or second overall. Um, but if they can kind of keep putting it together, I think that Derek Carr has shown at times that he can be a pretty effective quarterback um, in the NFL. It's weird on the other side seeing the Steelers and looking at Hall of Fame quarterback Ben Roethlisberger as the weak link, right? But that's kind of where we are. Like, like he's, he's the weak link on this team. Yeah, and it's just so bizarre. I mean, I feel like the Steelers can just be so surprising where, you know, in week one people kind of thought, well, Buffalo is definitely the team, and, and you know, the Steelers win there. And then I feel like most people are saying, well, the Steelers will rebound against the Raiders. So they're, I feel like they're always, you know, they're always going to be there generally. Yeah. Um, you know, they're a tough tough team to really put out of its misery, um, as I, obviously I, I know you've experienced. Um, but they do have those, you know, weird ebbs and flows. Yeah, they um, play to the level where, of the competition. Yeah. That's what we've exactly, seen in yeah, years exactly. past. I, I just think, like, the defense was so hurt last year, even through the playoff loss to the Browns, that they need Watt there, obviously, to be that huge difference maker. But, you know, they offensively, they got the they got Harris from Alabama. They got a new running back. Like, Ben's got to play better. And he wasn't even that great against the Bills in that game they won. So if, if he's not playing better, I think this is a very dangerous team with playoff aspirations. But... His level is the one that has to step up. But we, we've seen, I mean, I made the joke at the top of the show, but it's not really that much of a joke. I mean, Roethlisberger's falling off that cliff. Manning was there. You know, Brady's not there. He's the one guy that just, <laughs> just is not falling off. Yeah, it's weird. It's, sometimes you see that with kickers where, you know, a great kicker will just have a terrible year, and then but then sometimes they rebound with another team. And, and uh yeah, it is bizarre. You know, we're all kind of waiting to see that. Uh, you know, Dan Marino sixty-three to whatever seven loss to the Jaguars or whatever it was to happen to, to you know these quarterbacks that have been around the NFL for almost as long as I've been watching football. 
I know. Brady is uh, four years older. I think he's older than like 13 of – I said four years older than – four years older than uh, the next oldest player in the league, but I think he's older than like 13 of the 32 coaches now. So almost half the league there. Um, and then that, you know, they beat up the, on the Falcons, which probably says more about the Falcons in that game of just getting pushed around. Uh, Tampa's looked good. The uh, they're another team. I mean, they want the defending champs, and and they've got everybody back, which is the scary thing. And I know you've done a lot of research on a lot of different topics, but I, they've them bringing literally every single player back is unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, especially you know in the salary cap era, even like the the original Patriots salary cap era, you know, the oh one to three run, right? That was like, oh, yeah. this is this will never happen again. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So. You know, I guess they were able to catch lightning in the bottle. Um, you know, a lot of good young talent that was kind of there, and obviously, um, you know, Brady was clearly the final piece. It didn't hurt having Gronk Gronk added as well as a kind of surprise at the beginning of last year. So yeah, they can just kind of keep rolling, and I guess you know the rest of the division is kind of up in the air with you know different quarterback, you know, new quarterbacks and new places and stuff. So yeah, um, that's definitely an advantage for Tampa Bay. Oh, it's completely up in the air. I mean, the Saints' performance this week, again, that Carolina game was just – now that was the Jameis I remembered from him being a starting quarterback. Uh, but you do have to give yeah. props to – but you do have to give props to Carolina. They have a lot of talent still on the defensive side of the ball. McCaffrey's electric, and I'm just – you know, we shouldn't be – he's not a player on a team that I root for, but I root for Sam Darnold to just have some success once he escaped that Jets, you know, Shawshank-style prison. Yeah, and you know, speaking of the Jets, I guess obviously the jury's still out on Zach Wilson if he'll kind of be, you know, in the same position. But, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting to see, you know, the, the young quarterbacks that you know are high draft picks going to different teams and really answering, you know, is it the team you're drafted on versus the system, the players, and, and everything. So, you know, and, and I think when you kind of look at the full list of NFL quarterbacks, I've always felt right now that there's maybe only about half a dozen that you could envision yourself being able to win a championship with. Unless you have an incredibly special defense, but yeah. but I think maybe now we can kind of see that there's different ways around it if you have a good system in place. And, you know, the short passes are so big now where you yeah. can really make anyone really a stud. Well, yeah, that's why the accuracy's gone up, right? Because there's so much more short passes and, and play that completion percentage, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's, like, way higher than it's ever been. Like, now if you're not in, you know, above 65% at least, it's like you're not you're not getting it done. Yeah, and even you know, I mean, the the quarterback ratings are crazy. You know, if you look ba- basically now, if you're you need like an above ninety five quarterback mm-hmm. rating to be, where you know in the nineties, ninety five would be that would, you know you'd be a MVP candidate basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you know, I think Trubisky, for example, I think at one point you know he he had like a quarterback rating sometime somewhere in the nineties, and he was like twentieth in the NFL, yeah, wow. so or you know in middle of the NFL. So yeah, it's just crazy. I think the efficiency. Maybe there's a way to tweak. The numbers and the formula, which I'm all about. I know a lot of them have to say I don't understand it. It's really just four numbers that they kind of mix around a little bit. So maybe there's a way to kind of change the, the curve on that a little. Yeah, some way to just wait less the short, wide open, easy throws that literally every quarterback at the high school level can make. I, I agree with you there. Oh, yeah. Um, money <laughs> yeah. match effect. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the... the running back. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's like yeah. the running, running game essentially now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, money match effect with Adam Musto. Uh, let's go to the Monday night game. I will have some quick thoughts on that. The Packers. Open it up in the second half, beat the Lions 35-17. to I, I don't think there's much to be said about the Lions. We kind of know what they're doing, retooling, rebuilding, whatever word you want to say. Um, but this was the game that the Packers had to have, and they did. Rodgers bouncing back after the Saints uh, destroyed them the week before. Green Bay is going to be an interesting team from here on out for a lot of reasons. I think a lot of people expect like this is the end for them, and I know you're on the side of hoping it's the end based on being a Bears fan. But I, I would just say that there's no like the, everyone brings up the last dance mantra and everything there's going to be i mean there's still issues behind the scenes i think we all know that and i think it's going to be kind of appointment television with aaron Rodgers, like it always is adam but more so the case of how is he going to react going forward when there is adversity on the field because a lot of people would say that it got south quickly and uh, there wasn't much of a fight put up in game one so i'm just i'm just curious to see how this season plays out for a, a disgruntled hall of fame talent yeah, and, you know, we don't – I'm trying to get to the bottom of, you know, everything that really transpired with him during the off season. but, you know, is his end game to just kind of, you know, be like, hey, I'm, I'm good, I've done everything I needed to accomplish in the NFL or really make a run with another team, maybe seeing what Tom Brady did with Tampa and kind of everything that was kind of built around him. Um, I mean, I'm never going to count them out. I was obviously shocked watching that same team, even though I, I thought at some point, you know, they were going to – 
make make a run and you know start yeah. to come back. So um, you know, what? it's interesting they play the the Steelers in two weeks. So that's yeah. that maybe kind of help figure things out. Yeah, San mm-hmm. Francisco Steelers yeah. next too. I yeah, the the Saints game, the one where he just chucked the ball seventy yards downfield and threw the interception. That one, was, I was like, okay, what's what's going on here? But then last night he makes some throws that only he can make. And uh, I also have to say, big fan of the Manning brothers broadcast. Big fan. I don't know how you feel about it, but I've actually enjoyed watching that. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think that the NFL is trying to obviously figure out what is the future of television broadcasting, I think. And I think this is a kind of a refreshing thing. Um, and maybe it, everything is on demand now. So maybe that is kind of the future of each fan has their own customized broadcasters, customized announcers. I mean, some people have been doing it for a while where they just kind of turn it, tune into their local radio station. But yeah, I think it was obviously clear that, you know, Peyton Manning was going to do something. I don't know what his ultimate goal is, if it's GM or even commissioner of the NFL or, you know, part owner or whatever. But, but this, I think was clearly something that, you know, he, he's cut out for just from what we've seen, obviously in the you know endless amount of commercials and the classic SNL skit that he was on years ago. Um, so I think it's great. You know, there, you know, there's supposed to be that magic of Monday night football, right. Where it's tune in TV and it's obviously changed a little bit going back to the days where there's you know more than four uh, network stations on TV but I think it's just kind of a fun thing to, to have back do you think the Packers get threatened at all in this division well you know I guess I'm not totally going to count out the Vikings even mm-hmm. though I just maybe I'm kind of biased that I root you know I'm never super optimistic about them yeah they're they're owing two yeah. and it was two brutal losses like I mean obviously they missed the kick and it's classic Vikings some would say but they were running the ball very well against the Cardinals they did a I mean an okay job but good down the stretch defensively on Kyler and Kirk had a cousins had a good game but mm-hmm. yeah I mean I could see them making it interesting it all depends on if Green Bay goes south uh, but I, I don't think you would throw the Bears in there, if I had to guess. No, I mean, I think, you know, there was obviously so much Justin Fields hype, and he had that one terrible interception that reminds me of when Trubisky fumbled against the Lions, but I don't know if that's just you just chalk that up to a rookie mistake. or I mean, there's just been so much hype about Justin Fields, and I'm excited about it, but there's a part of me that's like, well, then why wasn't he the first or second no. overall draft pick? Even though, obviously, we've seen from... Do you think what, he should be playing that, right now? Do you think he should be the starter? I mean, I'm curious your take living in it. <laughs> I'm on a, I'm probably one. I'm in the. I would say I'm in a huge minority where I'm kind of okay with letting Dalton um, have the ropes for a little bit. I think that Dalton is a better solution than like what Mike Lennon was to Trubisky was that three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess you know maybe you kind of see how it plays out if they're at 500 you know ultimately i think what it comes down to is just what the coaches see in practice and whether you know he's ready whether he understands the playbook whether they're able to add a lot more plays and basically what whether they're able to run the offense that they want you know they have obviously some talent or you know with david montgomery and uh alan robinson the offensive line is a little suspect so i think that's kind of the biggest variable that you just don't want to like throw, you know throw him into the wolves and have to you know be running around for his life all game yeah, I don't think there needs to be a rush to get him out there. I agree. I actually agree that uh, it's fine the way it is. Like, if it gets to a point, like, let's say halfway through the season where clearly you're not contending and it's like, okay, let's see what's going on there, then, then I'd be fine with making the switch then. But I don't think there needs to be a rush, especially, as you said, the line sucks and there's not going to be, you know, a lot of help around him. So uh, I just think, mm-hmm. look, all these rookie quarterbacks, like a lot of them are pretty much all of them are struggling right now, the ones that are playing. I mean, Wilson and Lawrence, yeah. both are doing bad. Lance, we'll see. I actually think Lance has the highest upside right away if they do pull the trigger on going to him. And Mac Jones hasn't even exactly torched everyone yet, too. So I think it's, you know, we were spoiled by a, a few, you know, superior, a few generational-type talents, but also just great systems that they walked into that people don't really realize. Yeah, I feel like Ben Roethlisberger was clearly the first one that really kind of made that a, a reality. Obviously, go back to like the 70s where a rookie quarterback would be on the bench for like three years. Um, you know, I kind of go back. I remember John Kidna had a really good year uh, when Carson Palmer was on the bench. You know, one of the kind of rare examples you don't really see that much is the Jay Cutler when he was a rookie in Denver where the Broncos were like right on the cusp of the playoffs and they ended up playing Cutler and then uh, the Broncos went downhill after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the Chiefs are a perfect example where you have Alex Smith, who you're probably, you, you know, you're probably going to win 11 games regardless with him. Yeah. You know, the playoffs can be a little hit or miss. And you obviously have Andy Reid and a ton of offensive weapons. So that's like a perfect system. I feel like something with the, the Jaguars and probably especially the Jets, 
combination of the media, yep. new coach, and, and kind of all around that is kind of like a worst-case scenario for a young quarterback. Still plenty of time for these guys, too. I think we all need to just pump the brakes collectively. Um, do you do you have any thoughts on, uh, I guess it's, it's clearly recognized as the best division in football, but the NFC West, which had its first loss finally. The Seahawks lose that game to the Titans, but... <laughs> Uh, a lot of people are saying three playoff teams for obvious reasons with the seven format now. Do you have thoughts on this division and kind of the pecking order of some trends you've seen? Um, well, I guess I kind of have a bias against the Rams just because I've mm. <laughs> seen Stafford a while. You know, basically oh, I see. Yeah. My, point, <laughs> my point I'm trying to say is whatever happens against the Bears, I would not rule. I would not use that as any type of judgment because they've made terrible quarterbacks look great and <laughs> yeah. uh you know they, they can kind of definitely play to the level of their opponents and you know i think kyler murray's starting to come into his own even though maybe i'm kind of a little bit slower on that train um i think the 49ers have been a little bit of a surprise for me and, and yeah you obviously know the seahawks are going to be there even though they're just you know i guess they're always kind of that super bowl favorite even though obviously the last few years they haven't really yeah been there but yeah it's you know it's definitely be a fun one it's definitely gonna be a fun one and i'm fascinated for a few reasons one uh starting with kyler and the cardinals 2-0 i think i mean when he's nobody plays in the league like him like he is a true unicorn at the quarterback position and i just think the, the biggest concern is sustainability right like can he last physically for 17 games because when he got hurt last year, it was like someone pulled the plug on their playoff chances. Like he was a bottom tier quarterback trying to gut it out. And you just wonder, is that sustainable? And you also wonder if if Cliff Kingsbury is a good enough coach to consistently get it done. I mean, that's just kind of what you have to see going forward, um, especially getting his defense going. I actually think that you're, uh, you know, it's funny, Adam, when we did the preseason picks on this show, I thought the Seahawks were going to be the odd team out in this division. And the reason I said that is, and I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan, what he does, but you started to see it at the second half of that game, right? The defense still a little shaky, and they still, even though they're running a more fun offense, they still put the lion's share of their of their plays down the stretch in these close games on, well, Russell just figure it out. And even with a great talent like that in the NFL, that's just so hard to do. Yeah, and you know that probably goes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about um, you know Mahomes if you know if they have to pull out all these games from week to week and they can definitely you know burn burn you out and yeah I think you know we were talking about Kyler Murray and the sustainability of his health that I know that was a definitely a big sticking point with Russell Wilson years ago I mean there was some talk that you know he's just able to avoid the big hits um, something that like for example started to keep going back to the old Bears yeah. but I feel like you know Jim McMahon for example wasn't able to do and, and you right. definitely saw you know there's one thing about being tough. But then I think now the mindset has definitely changed that it's also important just to be there, you know, for your team. And, and, you know, so you don't have to, like, run into a brick wall every single play. If you can just kind of, you know, be smarter and, you know, work smarter, not harder sometimes, that that is more important, you know, than just trying to, like, gut it out. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we've seen that with the Seahawks over the last couple of years. Um, That is definitely a big uh, Achilles heel for them potentially. And Derrick Henry just absolutely torched them last game too. So that was uh, <laughs> that was just a special performance by a great running back. I uh, I think uh, the Niners, the other team in that division. I mean, I love Shanahan and what he does. I can't think. I mean, maybe you have to run the stats on this and do the research. Like, is there a team that's got worse injury luck than them consistently over the last couple of years? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, with you know, obviously, you know, there was so much hype around Garoppolo, and he got, he got injured, you know, right away when he first was with San Francisco, and yeah, I mean, I guess it's just kind of a next man up mentality. Um, they're oh yeah, it always or even there's just like small injuries where you know some big name guys are out for you know three to four weeks, and you know that kind of adds up. So yeah, I don't know if uh, it's just bad luck. I mean, you know, some teams swear by their strength and conditioning coaches and the magic that they're able to do, but you never really know. Were you, uh, the last thing I had for you uh, was uh, before we get to this week's games and uh, some, some maybe some picks if we're feeling froggy, but were you tracking that Chargers and Cowboys game? Were you following that on Sunday? Um, a little bit. I kind of had, yeah. I, I was, I had my eye on a few other games, but yeah. and that, that was one that it, it you know, <laughs> after the fact, I was like, I feel like the Chargers find a lot of ways to it's lose incredible. games like this. It's incredible. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, there was hardly any punts in a game that was 20 to 17. And I'm just like, how is, you know, because when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, these offenses are rolling, but somehow that's the final score. And I was just also going to ask you if, if we could get a diagram at some point of Mark, Mike McCarthy's brilliant decision to just lay up for a 56 yard field goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, 
Yeah, and you know, and Greg Zerline is kind of a you know funny court, a funny kicker who you know he was. I feel like he was you know really really good with the Rams, and then you just kind of have or you know I'm also thinking of kind of the opposite when the Cowboys had uh, who was that one kicker Dan it was like Bailey. he was like the most accurate kicker yeah. exactly yeah and you know so some of these kickers just kind of fall off and um, but you know I guess he uh, you know he, he saved uh, McCarthy's uh, butt this week he did that was uh, a game they had to have I mean maybe not because of the NFC East but uh, the Cowboys back in the win circle Dak's looking good again and Pollard and Zeke together uh, is a good running back duo let's let's look ahead though Adam to week three because uh, there's some good games on the schedule um, I don't we might we, we might as well just you know we might have to talk off air about a gentleman's bet for Browns and <laughs> Bears but uh, the Browns I, I didn't even mention them it was a, an unimpressive win for me. Like I don't I mean they were the biggest favorites they had ever been since they came back basically as a team and you know Tyrod Taylor gets hurt, Davis Mills is in there. Hard to complain about the offense even though they lose Landry for 3 weeks, but defensively it's there's still a lot to be desired. So we'll see if they bounce back this week, but all I know is if Dalton torches them, I'm going to be steaming mad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think going into the season, everyone probably expected to beat the Texans, you know, 35-0 to every game. And, you know, they obviously surprised some people in, in week one, even though it was still against the Jaguars. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if it's just kind of a one-off thing or, you know, a sign of things to come or some teams find a way to really, you know, keep their uh, foot on, on the neck of uh, teams, but you never really know. The uh, biggest – I was looking at this as well because I'm in one of those survivor pools again – and uh, mm-hmm. the biggest favorite this week, looking at the lines, looks like it's a tie, it's like a tie between Baltimore on the road going to Detroit. I mean, I, I've by the way, I've picked against Detroit each each game this year, so I might just keep that strategy going. Yeah. And, and you have Buffalo hosting Washington. Now, I do think that one might be a little. I, I would, I would, I wouldn't say that's a lock this week, just because Buffalo, we, you know, they were. They beat the Dolphins this week. Tua goes down, completely changes the game. But they're still not really hitting their stride. And if you're asking me in the NFL league where the competition is pretty balanced, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I wouldn't. My jaw wouldn't hit the floor basically if Washington won this game. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Um, you know, I think Buffalo obviously has changed who they are in the last couple of years. Where now they're probably going to be, you know, a favorite the majority of the time. Where for the previous 15 years they were probably hardly ever a favorite but yeah I mean you know Washington you know crazy game on Thursday obviously you don't really know what to make of two NFC East teams you know someone's got to win basically one of those games but we've seen some crazy stuff obviously you know in in their playoff game last year so I can definitely agree with you and and I I could see that you know I, I wouldn't be surprised exactly you know Buffalo I feel like can definitely drop games like that. I'd say my, I mean, the Thursday game is just brutal. It's Carolina-Houston. So, <laughs> just, I mean, that's, hey, we're not going to have all winners in prime time. But the other one that I really <laughs> like is uh, Arizona on the road. That's probably going to be my pick this week going to Jacksonville. I know it's a road game, but I don't, Urban Meyer is just not going to be used to dealing with all the losses that he's going to have to deal with this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, so much, you know, pressure in, in the NFL. And, and, yeah, you know, some of these college coaches, what they lose you know, one game a year, two games a year. Um, so, you know, it is an interesting matchup, obviously, with the two young quarterbacks. I think we still kind of want to see as much as we can on Trevor Lawrence to really kind of see what he's going to become. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, and obviously kind of as Kyler Murray kind of continues to develop. Titans are playing the uh, Colts, and I just want to bring that up. I know the Colts are in disarray. Eason's probably going to start for them. But you remember what Andrew Luck's record was against the Titans? Um... Was he all either really, really good or really, really bad? Eleven and zero. Okay, that, I could see that. So, that's okay. crazy. Yeah, division rival, and he beat him every time they played, and a lot of it wasn't yeah. even close. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, Peyton Manning. Well, obviously, you know, when Peyton Manning was starting out, the Titans were really good with uh, McNair and kind of the heyday of that. Obviously, he had that. You know, I think his yeah. first playoff, no, his first playoff game was a loss, right? As a home mm-hmm. loss. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I guess a little diff- different competition, but but uh, yeah, I'm. Sure, the Colts would you know do whatever they can if, they, if there's any way they can get Andrew Luck back in the lineup. You've got the <laughs> Which, da- you know I don't see it happening, but no, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> you've got yeah. the Dallas Philly primetime game on uh, Monday Night Football uh, next week, but you know we have to get those games in on primetime. Apparently, uh, the games I'm really looking forward to this week, in all seriousness, I think Seattle Minnesota will be interesting to see how Minnesota bounces back at home against a Seattle team that also just lost. Green Bay San Francisco we talked about is the Sunday night game. Who's really, you know, for real? If if Green Bay is, or if San Francisco can improve to three and zero on the year, 
But uh, I've also got my eye, of course, on I know the game you're looking at is the Rams in Tampa Bay in L.A. First time Tom Brady's played an NFL game in the city of Los Angeles. And uh, two yeah. teams that are they're hoping to be playing for a lot more than just a regular season game. Yeah, that'll be, you know, an interesting one. I know, um, you know, Matt Stafford statistically has struggled against quarterbacks with winning records or, uh, you know, teams with winning records. So has a chance to kind of write, write that ship. Um, no pun intended with the Bucks, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of expect Tom Brady to keep rolling. You know, you never really know. You know, I don't know if Sean McVay's picked up anything since their Super Bowl against Brady in a way. You know, it's definitely an intriguing matchup. Um, and I think I'm sure Matt Stafford has a lot to prove and just, you know, kind of being back in LA or not anyone being back, but I, I that is an exciting atmosphere, brand new stadium and everything. It should be rocking. Can't wait to see what happens. Adam Musto, pleasure chatting with you here on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll have to do it again this season and uh, good luck with everything. We'll be talking football later. Thanks again for joining the show. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks again to Adam Musto for coming on the show, as he always does, breaking down football, bringing that research heat. Big thanks to him. We'll see what unfolds. Week two down, still a lot more football at the pro level. And speaking of football, we're going to college now with Rob Crowder, native son of Oklahoma, and uh, his Cowboys, Oklahoma State, doing very well so far to start the season. But we're getting ready for some conference play in the Big 12, and we're going to break down all of that. Alabama-Florida was a wild one as well with Bama holding on. We discuss if the tide is... Maybe slipping a little bit. Is Florida better than we thought? Georgia's defense, lot to break down. Oregon, the rest of the Pac-12, kind of a disaster, but Oregon uh, holding the uh, the candle there for them. It's a lot of college football with Rob Crowder now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk some college football this week. Brought him back on the show. Good for a couple appearances a year to break down the sport he knows and loves. Rob Crowder, welcome back to the show. Good having you on, and uh, I guess riding high going into this uh, late September weekend. Yeah, man. Uh, glad to be on, as always. Uh, wouldn't have expected the folks to be 3-0 and uh, based on how the games have gone, but uh, we'll take it at this point. Hey. But I guess we'll get a good uh, litmus test here with uh, K-State this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we could start there because I think your guys uh, getting to 3-0 and is one thing. I mean, it's not how you get there, it's just getting there, so that's good. Uh, the first two, not exactly impressive, I think we'd agree. And this last one, while there was no points scored in the Boise State-Oklahoma State second half, it was a 21-20 victory. So I guess there's frustrations on offense, I would assume, but I think there's got to be some optimism with uh, some defense or, I guess, seeing some new defense this year. Yeah, having a defense, obviously, obviously <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but we are we do have a very good defense this year, uh, led by Colby Harvell, Peel at safety, and some other good guys, uh, Malcolm Rodriguez anchoring the linebackers, and yeah, fun team uh, on the defensive side, but man, the offensive side, you know, the Cowboys are always known for hanging their hat on uh, putting up points, getting tons of yards, and just kind of being a game hack, and uh you know, with this new offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn, as of last year, looks like the fun days of Mike Yurchich and Dana Holgerson and all those guys is kind of over, uh, at least until Dunn, Dunn figures out how to use his guys. So, um, you know, after game two, Gundy said, uh, we got to do better at play design, which I've never see- heard a bigger understatement in the world because yeah. we couldn't run the ball against Missouri State. So, yeah, or Tulsa. So, well, yeah. I mean, looking at the Big 12, I know there's a lot going on short and long term with that conference, but you have Oklahoma at the top, and they struggled mightily against Nebraska this week, but they're sitting in that top five ranking. We'll see how good they are on a national level, but I think it's kind of interesting to see where this conference is right now because I would argue, and I'm interested to hear your take on it, that I think it might be a little deeper than in years past. There's maybe more quality teams. I just don't know if or who that next contender is to Oklahoma's throne. Would you agree that the conference looks a little deeper this year as opposed to just, you know, a couple teams at the top and then kind of more on the floor? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it goes even deeper than that. I would say uh, I think college football this year just seems to have more parity than it's ever had. Like even the best teams are, are struggling at home or against, you know, who you, who you would think would be a weak opponent. Um, but, yeah, in the Big 12, I mean – 
outside of Kansas, there's not really anyone I really want to play this year. Because <laughs> yeah. You don't really know what you're getting game in, game out. I mean, against Boise, we had more hurt wide receivers than healthy ones, and we barely eked it out. And it begs the question, like, is that how it's going to be for most teams throughout the season? You know, uh, struggling with injuries, struggling with COVID. And also we're dealing with schedules that were kind of made decades ago. So um, it's just kind of a weird landscape right now. But I'm definitely excited uh, to see what happens because it's pretty apparent nothing is going to go to script. And I feel really sorry for any college football pundit right now. (laughs) I mean, you look at a team like Texas, right, who one game to the next, they look like completely different teams. So they're like that true wild card out there that you don't know what you're going to get from them. And on the flip side of that, a team that I know has been a house of horrors for you, Kansas State, over the last decade or so, they you could argue, okay, they're really good at one thing on offense. You know, they can they can run the ball very well. But you know what? They beat a Nevada team that was actually favored to them at home. They pushed around a Stanford team that beat USC. It might not be pretty, but they know exactly what their identity is. And in a year like this, maybe it is K-State that could get hot. So I think that this conference especially, it's going to be fun to see how it shakes out. Oh, most definitely. And I think we're pretty fortunate that Skylar Thompson is is listed as probably not going to play. So um, I think that's the only reason we're favored by six Mm because, you know, I know that I'm no – line maker but uh i would have us down a touchdown or two based on the last three games <laughs> yeah and just k-state's ability to keep it close that's a that's a pretty high number um looking at the looking at the rest of the rankings though before we kind of jump around and and look at last weekend's games i, I noticed as well i think there's like four non-power five teams i mean i'm not counting Notre dame obviously but you've got cincinnati you've got byu you've got coast you've got coastal and fresno all ranked so even the even the non powers, I mean, Fresno State got to three and one. Their only losses to Oregon. Coastal's still going, and BYU is basically owning the Pac twelve South right now. <laughs> they, they could complete the trifecta almost this year. Yeah, I mean, with BYU, it's really interesting. Uh, I think the only what is it? The only team that's really standing in front of them going undefeated is probably you know challenge wise, they've got Boise, um, maybe USC, but other than that, it's Georgia Southern. It's Washington State, Idaho State, Virginia, you know, Utah State. Like, What's Baylor BYU? have this year? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's true. I mean, they, they have a schedule that's not, I wouldn't say easy, but they're all winnable, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of where we're at. Yeah, I mean, the way they're playing, I think they could beat everyone remaining on their roster, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to shake. But seeing Cincinnati up there, seeing BYU, future Big 12 teams doing well, mm-hmm. all for it. Uh, you know, right now I'm going to cheer my butt off for them, but <laughs> once they get in the conference, you know, it's a different story. <laughs> That's interesting. That's like the outsider's approach. That's like the hipster approach because, like, these wins don't count as conference wins, but you're saying, hey, good for the brand going forward, but once you're here, all bets are off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like, you know, hey, the new kid's cool for a couple of minutes, and then, you know, he starts taking your spot in, on the football team, so... Uh, you know, that's what we got to deal with. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that like the Pac-12, for example, like they've been clamoring for a team to get, you know, that seat at the playoff and they might have it in Oregon, but it's like, what deal with the devil did they make? Because they almost essentially sold their soul to have Oregon with the rest of the conference having one of the worst weekends I think a conference has had in, in, in the last decade at least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's already been named as a, what, Black Saturday for the Pac-12 and <laughs> yeah. I think I saw a stat today that the longest losing streak in the country right now is Arizona. You know, they lost in Northern that? Arizona last weekend. <laughs> NAU. Yeah, worked by Lumberjacks. When oh. you're in the same conversation as UMass, UNLV, UConn, and in this case, Navy for the longest active losing streaks, oh woof. Like, uh, yeah. you can't say that Arizona can't recruit because they are a big-name program. I mean, not, not like a historically dominant football program, but – the name Arizona should be able to get at least recruits, and then you know the coaching there. That's a whole other conversation. But yeah. it's kind of stunning on the football side. Yeah, Jed Fish is in his first year there, and I and I think we everyone agrees that someone left the, the program in disarray. So I'll give him one year to kind of just start to build the foundation. But it, it, it's brutal, and we see this in sports and in all sports all the time. UCLA Rob gets that big win; they're feeling mighty. Well, you got to follow it up, and I know Fresno's ranked, and they're a good team, but. UCLA's defense absolutely failed them down the stretch. And uh, that was, I mean, look, we kind of figured that teams like Colorado are going to be bad and, you know, Washington State to the world and whatnot. But UCLA not following up that win with, with another win when they had the opportunity to really make a name for themselves this year, that's the one that I think stings the most. 
Oh, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, coming out the gates, I mean, UCLA, everyone was, was like, hey, maybe they're back. Maybe Chip's back. But I think Fresno kind of brought them back to reality, at least from a non-conference standpoint. But, you know, UCLA could, could challenge for, you know, a, a pretty decent bowl this year, I think, based on how the rest of the conference yeah. is stacking up. Yeah. Arizona State, company of errors, you know. Um, there's just not – no one you can consistently – count on in from what maybe two to two to two to 12 (laughs) yeah when getting getting to the title game winning the pac-12 south for sure in play absolutely that's a that's almost the magic eight ball game which is shake it and see what happens but i'm still i mean oregon is in the driver's seat and they clearly are the apex not just because the ohio state win i mean they've got experience winning that game in particular so i'm not i'm not ready to say that they're threatened just yet but it is one game and we'll see um, Rob, another thing I wanted to ask you, and this is a very detailed question. Are we sure Notre Dame is that good this year? I think they're going to get a mean reality check uh, a couple of times this year. What, because what, what, this week? <laughs> not this week, okay. uh, but I, I think they're going to get some reality checks coming up because our friend Kent Brown, friend of the pod, uh, <laughs> showed us that seven of their games this year, the teams are coming off of a bye week, which mm. – if you're if you're Notre Dame, that's awful because you're going to be coming off of you know they they don't have necessarily a, a cakewalk of a schedule, but you're going to be coming off games almost every single weekend, and you're catching teams that are fresh and are scheming against you and looking right. at film for a week and a half roughly. So um, I, I think the table's set if they want to take it, but I don't think it's going to be any. I don't think it's going to be easy by any means. Right. Yeah. I I I understand that point. It's a very valid one. I just think that you know. Looking at how they played, first of all, forget about the coming off the bye week stuff. They're winning games. They're winning close games over teams like you know Toledo, Florida State, who we all know, and then the Purdue game, twenty-seven thirteen. I actually watched quite a bit of that game and was ready to criticize the play calling and and, that, and whatnot. But these were just. And I know we made everybody was was ripping on Kelly for how he worded it, but it was it was the execution of their team. Like these, they were dropping passes in the end zone, just in position to make plays yeah. and not doing it and. I agree. I just I don't the way the team's going. I think it is going to run into some trouble. Now they got Wisconsin this week in Chicago on that neutral site game. Then it's Cincinnati, and then it's going to Virginia Tech, where we know anything could happen there. I mean, these next five games are really going to tell a lot about this team. And honestly, three and two is in play, and I don't even think that would be a, t- a terrible stretch, depending on the, how these games go. I just think they've got to clean up a lot. They've been able to get away with some of their, their letdowns, their five-minute lull periods in games, based on the strength of competition that's only going to ramp up from here. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, they're in murderers row for the next five. The next two are also pretty pretty early games. They're not primetime mm-hmm. games, so get up, rise, and shine against, you know, the 18th best team and the 8th best team. And the way Cincinnati looks right now, ooh, man, I can't wait for that game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Virginia Tech, the way they played against UNC early on this season, that's another team that, I mean, they're not ranked, but I don't want to play them. <laughs> and, you know, just just the way that uh, Mac Brown is able to coach in big games, you know, not he has, he's not always consistent, but, hey, if he gets up for that game, you know, uh, October 30th against Notre Dame, that could be a rough night for them if he schemes them correctly. I just love too, and it kind of segues into Cincinnati with their impressive win over Indiana. What impressed me about that game, Rob, was that it wasn't their best game. They 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 stepped it up when they needed to. They found a way to win, and the offense was rolling. And they are taking every game, every challenge. Like they know they have to win out to be in that playoff discussion. So that's a dangerous team when they have to, and they realize they have to engage like that. And I know Indiana is not the Indiana of last year, but. This Notre Dame game in two weeks is going to basically determine their fate for the end of the year. So Notre Dame has to be in high gear to deal with this challenge. Yeah, and and, and I think if Cincinnati beats Notre Dame, I don't see why they Cincinnati couldn't run the table. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. Temple, UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, and East Carolina. I mean, if they're able to just take care of business, assuming they beat Notre Dame, we could have an interesting decision come uh, playoff time. Yeah, that's really going to be an interesting decision because they'll have the resume this year that they didn't and they couldn't have last year without the non-conference games. Um, the, the big game on this past Saturday and that really did kind of shape how things are looking and, and who how good certain teams might be we look at, Rob, was that Alabama-Florida game. 
which went as expected in terms of the outcome. Alabama did win that game, but they only won by two points. Florida's offense got rolling late. They missed that two-point conversion at the end. Alabama's able to milk the clock. I'll just ask you this question. Do you think that showed you more about Florida being better than you thought, or was this just the performance by Alabama that left more to be desired? It could be a little of both, but do you think Florida is better than a lot of people thought they were based on this game? I would agree it's a little bit of both. I think the Tide are the team to beat this year, along with Georgia. Um, But, I mean, Florida hanging 245 yards on a Nick Saban team, that's pretty crazy to say out loud. So if you're anyone else in the SEC, you know, like maybe uh, someone who's playing them this weekend, uh, (laughs) I would be pretty worried, honestly, because they could run riot. So. Mm But, you know, Alabama, I, I, I'll say it again. I think they're the team to beat. That's pretty clear. But Georgia's defense, if they show up, they can beat anyone any night. So, that, you know, the SEC right now is just uh, just murderer's row. You don't, you don't want to step into that house at the moment. And, I, and, and that being said, I'll, I'll just say I cannot wait till you and Texas are in that conference. Let me just say that. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I think I know why you can't wait, but that's for another time. Uh, I, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Agreed on that. I think Bama is the team to beat. And I think secretly, you know, Saban loves this, right? Win, but be able to hang it over them that they yep. didn't play well and they have a lot to clean up. And honestly, it was on the coaching side too. At the end of that first half, Saban didn't take any of his timeouts and just let the clock run down. And they kind of just were going through the motions. You don't want to lose or be in that position, but you can definitely learn from them. We've we've had this talk a bunch of times before. Alabama looks sluggish. They might drop a regular season game. They'll use this as a kick in the rear end to get going. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Florida looked way better than I thought they would be. A lot of people didn't think this would even be a game. And it was as good as a game as we've had this year. I I would also point out, too, that with Georgia's defense, I think we agree the best defense in college football. Like, it's not really – it's them right now. Yeah, I mean, I I forget who it was. I think it was the South Carolina coach who was basically saying, you know, that that (laughs) – Yeah, exactly. Just like you got five stars everywhere. How do you compete against that? So, you know, they're going to keep them in games. And if their offense is at least semi-functional, JT Daniels just slanging, yeah, they'll be in a great spot. But um, they don't have the dominant rusher, uh, or at least they didn't against South Carolina, that they normally do each year, year in, year out. So uh, I'm excited to see how Alabama, Florida, Georgia are going to shake out for the rest of the season because, man, those are – some good football teams right there. They certainly are. And uh, I just want to wrap this before we look ahead to games with the fact that Iowa and Penn State at 5-6, and six, the, the Big Ten teams that are still undefeated. You know, th- this conference has been, and I'm a Big Ten guest, I'm a little biased, but with Ohio State's loss, you know, th- there's no gimmies in this conference now. Iowa's had as tremendous a start to their year with the first two games as anyone. And Penn State, Rob, beating Auburn in that whiteout game, I think it, it pointed out to me that we kind of just forgot about what a difference a crowd can make. It's not always going to be the difference, but a, a Penn State-Auburn on a neutral field might have a different result. But in the whiteout game, Penn State comes through with that emotional lift, and suddenly after their disaster year before, they're sitting as a top 16. Yeah, I mean, that was a hell of a game, dogfight, and you can't say that that crowd didn't influence it. I mean, Penn State scored in every quarter, and the only difference in the game was Auburn in the first and the fourth got field goals instead of touchdowns. So could have gone either way, but hey, you know, maybe that defense got lifted by that crowd at, you know, pivotal moments at the beginning and the end. Who knows? But Penn State looking looking pretty saucy. I, I was kind of surprised to see Ohio State kind of stumbling against uh, yeah. Tulsa. As, I mean, Oklahoma State, my team obviously struggled with Tulsa, but I wasn't confident in our team. But I know that Ohio State has much better athletes, so that was kind of yeah. shocking to see. Yeah, Clemson had a rough go as well, talking about traditional playoff powers that, you know, Clemson barely getting by Georgia Tech in a rain-delayed game. Uh, And you mentioned the Penn State game. I also, I can't remember ever seeing a team have to punt on third down before, so that also happened in that game at home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I was, I had family over, and I was just like, (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen this happen before. (laughs) Hey, for James Franklin, handled it a lot better than I would, that's for sure. Uh, But they were able to All right, Rob Crowder, Money Mitch Effect. Let's look ahead to some games this week and some interesting ones as well. Uh, The slate might not be as uh, sexy, some would say, but there's still some opportunities. There's still some big games uh, as well. I want to mention something else, too. A Friday night game, uh, Liberty and Syracuse, Rob. I never thought I'd see the day where Liberty was basically a touchdown favorite at a Division I school in Syracuse, but I guess here we are. 
Yeah, I mean, they're sitting at number 27 in the AP poll if you're just going off pure votes. So uh, I was kind of shocked to see it. That, that's Hugh Freeze rocking it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that says a lot about both programs. Liberty wins this game. I'm not sure that they will be ranked, but they could be another non-power team ranked. You know, Syracuse trending in the other direction, obviously. But Liberty has got Hugh Freeze. And, you know, how much longer will he stay there? Who takes a chance? I don't know. Well, hey, who knows? He This might be his audition for Syracuse because Zeno Babers hasn't really put put it together in his, what, five years? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. He beat Clemson on that Friday night game, and I don't think it's been been much since then. But uh, Yeah, they get one ranked win a year, it seems, and then they kind of finish with five or six L's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see if they I mean, t- I, I'm, I'm hoping Syracuse can make it a game, but that'll you said that's a Friday night game, so... Yeah. Man, anything anything on a non-Saturday, all bets are off. So I'll, I'll definitely be tuning into that one. Well, this Wisconsin-Notre Dame game that I mentioned is a neutral site game. It's at Chicago. It's an 11 a.m. local kickoff time. Wisconsin, like we were mentioning, you know, they're coming off. You know, they, they had the bye week, and they're able to just you know stretch out, rest the legs and everything. Uh, Rob, they are a six-point favorite over Notre Dame in this neutral site game. That That jumped out at me a little bit. Like, I don't... I don't know if I like the Badgers by that much. And I don't even know if I like the Badgers to win this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that's kind of shocking to me as well, uh, especially, you know, Notre Dame being ranked higher and playing at Soldier Field, which, you know, Chicago famous for making their rivers green during St. Patty's Day. So, uh, I mean, I would imagine it's going to be an overwhelming Notre Dame crowd just because of the proximity to South Bend. But, man... Six points. I, I, I'm kind of hard-pressed to see that happening uh, in Wisconsin's favor. Well, here's the other thing I'd mention. Mertz, this is your. This is it. This is the opportunity. You know, he struggled, and, and you got Cone, the revenge game factor for Cone playing against his former team, but I'm just looking at it like Notre Dame's defense has struggled. This is your time to shine. That secondary can be picked apart, but that's going to be a big one. That's the first early slate game. I think that's going to be a fun one for sure. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, Ohio State's 49-point favorites against Akron, so that's that's the state of the Buckeyes now, just sludging along into a Big Ten play eventually. Yeah, yeah. forty nine points. Oopta. Is there a game that you're less looking forward to in this entire slate? Now I know you don't know all of it. Than Duke Kansas. Oh man, uh, uh, I mean, I believe it or not, I I'm kind of a sick person. I actually enjoy turning on Kansas for like the first quarter of every game just to see if there's that spark of hope. Because sometimes those games go to like the third and the fourth, and it's way too close, and then Kansas gets blown out. But for those three, you know, couple of quarters where they have that little bit of hope, it's 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 very entertaining. So, <laughs> I know. Duke's sixteen point favorites. That is not something I thought I would ever say, but like we said, here here we are, and uh, here we go. Uh, UCLA in the bounce back game after that loss, they get a Stanford team that uh, you know destroyed, basically ended Clay Helton's career. UCLA four and a half point favorites on the road. I don't know, Rob. I mean, I feel like a UCLA team with expectations isn't one that I totally vibe with. No, especially going against Shaw. You know, like that he's a great coach, and he you saw what he did with USC in that in that game a couple of weeks ago. And if I'm UC if I'm a UCLA fan, I'd be really worried about that that spread because Stanford at home. I mean, they're just a smart team, and that's not just because of Stanford, but they are a well-coached team, and they're going to bring it. So I'm curious to see if Chip's going to bring out some, you know, some some of his old fun plays. But if they if they play too conservative, I think they'll get smacked in the mouth by how disciplined Stanford plays. So Georgia's 35-point favorites against Vanderbilt, so we'll just see if Georgia can score 35 points and cover the spread. <laughs> I mean, obviously we're not expecting much from Vanderbilt. Um, your guys, I do want to mention – you said you had it right. It was a six-point spread. When the line was set, it was originally nine. It dipped down to six. The other interesting thing that happened, and again, shows you how different this game is in the Big 12. The over-under opened at 49.5. It's down to 46. For a Big 12 game, that is just a jarring number. Yeah, it does not make a lot of sense. I think we're averaging 20 or 24 points a game at the moment. Um, and what's even funnier is like our passing was so bad in the second and the third game that our freshman who played in the opener is actually listed as the player to watch, even though he's not going to start in the game. So uh, a lot of weird stats going on with, with this matchup, but 
if the reports are true that Thompson's out, I think Oklahoma State gets a huge leg up, but it's all going to depend on injuries. Like Oklahoma State, as I mentioned, had five wide receivers out against Boise State. If we don't get a couple of those back, we're going to have to start playing a walk-on. So um, we're going to have to really rely on the run as we did against Boise. I think we had the Utah State transfer had 245 yards rushing, and I I can't remember the last time that we gave running back 32 carries at Oklahoma State. It must have been in like 05 or something. <laughs> well, I said it was a weird number, but I know you probably know this too. Last three years, 31 to 12, 26, 13, 20 to 18. So it went under that yep. number the last three years. So maybe they are smart. Maybe it's a lot of, maybe it's an excess of points. I don't know. Um, that'll be a good one. K-State really is, <laughs> K-State really is the anti-Gundy. <laughs> <laughs> In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. Uh, do you think West Virginia makes it a game with Oklahoma? Six and a half point dogs on the road. Yeah, I mean, they had a pretty good weekend last week, uh, West Virginia did. But, um, I mean, if Spencer Rattler decides he wants to wake up and be accurate, it's Oklahoma He's so game frustrating, easy. right? I mean, like, I, we saw it last year, not just because I was on the wrong side of a couple bets, but when he <laughs> wants to play, he's as good as advertised, right? Like, he is that good, but... There are clunkers in there, and it's infuriating whether you're a fan or you have money on them. Yeah. I mean, uh, being an Oklahoma guy and having my Twitter feed filled with Sooner stuff every now and then, um, their fan base is frustrated. They're not not getting the confident wins that they're used to, and he's really not developed into this. Well, I mean, I guess they're spoiled having Baker and Kyler and those guys, but he really hasn't developed as quickly as they've wanted him to. But I think the fortunate part is Lincoln Riley still – calling plays and, and making up schemes and uh, they'll figure it out. And Marvin Mims, I think he's going to wake up and have a dominant season, but might just be growing pains for a couple of games, but maybe this is the breakout for Rattler. Yeah, definitely spoiled. It's a good problem to have uh, if you're one of those, if you're a Sooner fan and you've just had an excess of quarterbacks, but we mentioned the potential for a bloodbath in Florida's next game and surprise, surprise, it's Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. I was alluding to that, sadly. Uh, yeah, it's a tw- what, 19 and a half right now over under of 63. Yeah. I mean, that game could get out of hand pretty quick if, if Tennessee's not on their game. I mean, they've got they got some fun quarterbacks, and it'll be interesting to see if it's uh, if it's Milton or if it's Hooker playing, but it's going to be it's going to be a fun game. I, I feel like regardless of the score, but I don't know. I, I, I think Florida could could run run riot uh, with the running backs. Yeah, I actually actually think Tennessee has a chance to move the ball, put up some points, but the way Florida's offense has looked mixed with Tennessee's defense, I mean, that pit game, (laughs) my God. Uh, I I think that that could be a a big area of concern, and that would be an understatement. Uh, And then the one I'm actually keeping an eye on, maybe more than any this week, is Mississippi State at home. That line's dipped a little, but they are two-and-a-half-point underdogs, two-point underdogs against LSU. Rob, LSU loses this game. I, I think we're going to be really ramping up the Coach O watch because after the UCLA loss, they, they, they look a little sluggish, but they get back on track in a, in a non-Power 5 game. This is a big one for them. If LSU doesn't win this game, heads are going to start rolling down down by the bayou. Yeah, and I mean, they got they really got to be ready for this game. I mean, Mississippi State's quarterback is coming in with already 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns, so uh, you're getting that full leech experience uh, coming coming right at you. So I, th- I think you're right. I mean, Coach O hasn't really had that follow-up to a natty um, that one would expect. And uh, you know the talent's there. It's just it doesn't seem like it's playing correctly at the moment. So I think if LSU comes out and uh, lays an egg, uh, we could have a pretty interesting uh, conversation next weekend. That we could. Uh, I did forget one game that I'm really looking forward to, the uh, the game that's always down in Jerry, in Jerry World, Arkansas and Texas A&M. A&M's looked very sluggish. I mean, they're supposed to be this contender. This could be a playoff push. And Arkansas still riding high over that win over Texas. A&M five-and-a-half-point favorites. This is another let's see how good these teams really are game. Because if Arkansas wins this one, Rob, I mean, Pittman's probably going to win Coach of the Year in the SEC. I hate to make that proclamation already. But if he can follow up Texas with A&M, it's a heck of a start for a uh, early tenured coach there. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I'm kind of floored to see Arkansas doing this well. Um, they've just been kind of in the basement for a while, and um, it's good to see kind of K.J. Jefferson getting his feet up under him and trailing Burks on the edge, uh, catching balls for them. Pretty fun, but uh, I think, as you mentioned, this is this is really going to be the – are both of these teams for real? Are they both 
posers, where do we stand, you know? I know. Both teams would like the game at, at, as a home game, but uh, alas, that's not meant to be. Uh, Rob, pleasure pleasure chatting with you on college football. I think we've, we've, we've laid the table nice for a, uh, a nice end of September, October, and uh, we can reconvene as we get to the big-time conference games later. But I, uh, I think we got a nice base going. Yeah, no doubt. It's a pleasure uh, hopping on, as always, and uh, can't wait to see the games this weekend. This is Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch Effect. Rob, thank you again. Cheers. That's it for this week's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to both Adam Musto and Rob Crowder for appearing as guests. A reminder, you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. We're on all your podcast platforms. I'm on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21, and we have a Facebook page as well. If you haven't heard about it, the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page with episodes, video, bonus content there. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. We'll be back next week with the start of hockey season around the corner, as well as the baseball playoff push. And, of course, more and more football. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports.